welcome to the Champs App Podcast, where we help players and parents demystify the world of minor hockey development and recruiting for both girls and boys. On this episode, we have our interview with two guests. They are Carrie Cohn and Jake Anderson, who are both coaches at the Bishop Kearney Selects Girls Hockey Academy in Rochester, New York. Of course, we dive deep into the Selects Academy program, what it's like to coach with your spouse, and we also discuss their role as coaches in the women's college hockey recruiting process. Plus, they give their perspective on what is going on right now with college commitments. I really enjoyed this talk with Carrie and Jake, and I hope you do too. Before we get to our guest, if you enjoyed this episode and want us to keep making more of them, please share it with teammates and friends. You can also subscribe, like, follow, and even better, it would be great if you would leave us a review. Now, let's drop the puck and get to the show. I'm very excited to have on the Champs App Podcast our first episode with two guests. They are both coaches at Bishop Kearney Selects Girls Hockey, and they also happen to have gotten married this past summer in Rochester, New York. Uh, first, I'd like to welcome Carrie Cohn, originally from Harbor City in Southern California. She played college hockey for one year at Wayne State University before I believe the program folded, and then three years at St. Cloud State. She's had a variety of coaching gigs, which include head coach of the U19 team at Selects Academy, and she is currently the assistant program director and U19 associate head coach at Selects. Next up, we have Jake Anderson, who is originally from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, he played his prep school years at Shattuck St. Mary's, where he played goalie, and before playing college, he went and went to American International College for four years playing goalie there. Um, Jake has had several D1 assistant coaching roles, which included Holy Cross, RPI, Merrimack, and Providence College, before becoming the U16 head coach at Selects Academy for the 2021 season. Welcome to the podcast, Carrie and Jake. Awesome. Thank awesome. you. Thanks. All right, guys. So like we do all our guests, we're going to do this a little slightly differently because we'll start with Carrie. Why don't you start with uh, you telling us a little bit more about how you started playing hockey and what made you such good hockey players that you were both able to play college hockey? Yeah, no, awesome. Thanks for having us. So uh, growing up, I am from California. Um, I have four brothers, so two older, two younger. So with that being said, we had a lot of activities going at all times. So that was playing sports in the morning, sports in the afternoon. Um, but during that time growing up, uh, that was the Gretzky era. And so I remember one weekend um, we were playing, we, were, we had a t-ball weekend and, um, you know, they were like, hey, you guys want to try roller hockey to my brother Nick and I? And we're like, yeah, we'd love to because we would always play in the backyard. Um, so we kind of picked up roller hockey that way and then we really got into it. And then, you know, a year or two went by and um, I was just honestly a little rink rat and um someone was uh I someone mi missed uh practice or one of the games and they needed a substitute goalie and I was just there and I was actually a forward at the time and they were like hey will you play goalie and I said no problem put on the pads and then I started to love it and with that being said we had a coach that um was looking for an ice hockey goalie so I went and started playing travel ice hockey at the squirt level um and then the rest is history and Carrie, were you playing with boys or with girls? And were you playing with like the Ducks or the Kings or whatever at that time were the, 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 the clubs that were available in Southern California at the time? Yep. So I was playing boys hockey. I played um, up until 16 boys AAA. Um, and then I was decided that I wanted to start skating out. So I went to the premier women's team. There was the Lady Ducks um, and then the Cal Selects, um, which was before uh, some of the other 
programs that are out there. So played for the Cal Selects for two years and they unfortunately cut that program and we merged to become the LA Selects. And I played there for two years under Jeff Turcott. Um, and then with my time there, um, I was uh, honored a scholarship to go play college hockey. And um, I fell in love with the coaching staff at uh, Wayne State, Jim Fetter, um, and you know, enjoyed my time there. And about two weeks before I was supposed to go back, uh, they cut the program, unfortunately, and, um, you know, Jim Fetter um, and some other girls ended up going other places, but Fetter ended up at uh, St. Cloud State and obviously um, with uh, national camps back when they first started, I was doing those um, and they were in Lake Placid and I had um, Jeff Geeson as a coach, which was exciting and so kind of had that relationship um, and ended up my other three years there and Loved my experience, um, got a great education, and um, was able to be a captain while I was there. And obviously, minored in coaching and things like that, and majored in sports management. So, kind of went down the path that uh, I wanted to there. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, before we get to Jake, I got two questions for you. So, first, um, what was the transition like going from goalie to defense? I believe you were a right-handed defense. What was that like? And especially like, you know, I, I'm assuming you were doing this as you transitioned from boys to girls. So um, that's a pretty impressive change, especially given the skating and the shooting requirements that you probably don't see as much being a goaltender. Yeah. So like I said, I was playing roller hockey um, as a player. So I would play forward. Um, and then when I decided I didn't want to play, um, goalie anymore um I was like oh this is easy like this is girls hockey and when I went to the tryout it wasn't just girls hockey this was because I at that time I was like oh I'm gonna go play in the NHL I want to be like uh Noam Rayom and things like that right so with it um um it was a good transition obviously playing with the girls um it's it's no joke and so when I made that transition from going from goalie to forward um it, you know I was just always you know, I was, I was very similar to a power forward, always going to the net, trying to get pucks, trying to break up battles, things like that. Um, and then I was actually recruited as a forward to Wayne State. And while I was there, um, they ended up having uh, someone get hurt and they needed some help back there. And then fell in love with that. Um, got wow. a couple of words with it. And, um, it's a multidimensional player. can play any position. Yeah, I can rush too. <laughs> <laughs> the OHL apparently uh, can yeah, you know, right. very yep. open to, to female references these days. So yeah. All right, last question uh, for you before we get to Jake. Um, who was your favorite coach growing up? Um, you know, before you became a coach. Um, and why? A great question. Um, um, probably it it wasn't actually in regards to obviously you have your youth coaches and stuff like that, um, but. At the time, I was a huge LA Kings fan, um, and I was actually a big fan of Andy Murray and how he was working with the Kings, because um, obviously, um, another part of my growing up, I was homeschooled, so I spent a lot of, like I said, I was a rink rat, and I spent a lot of time at the rink, so with that, I would go and watch the Kings practice, and then get on the ice and then train. And so I was very dialed in with like what he was doing and I would just watch the game to learn. So, um, you know, at that time, I didn't know a lot about coaching philosophies and styles when I was that age, but I just knew I, you know, I liked what he was doing off on the ice. And then when you'd watch him on the bench during games and stuff like that, I guess you kind of learn when you're younger, what kind of philosophy you, you don't really look at that. But as a adult now, I mean, I, you know, looking back at what he did with uh, the Kings, with the, you know, Adam Denmarsh and some of those players that he had, 
um, you know, it, it was just part of my childhood. So if I remember correctly, Andy Murray was a true rink rat. He not only, you know, spent a huge amount of time at the El Segundo rink in LA, he lived at the Hilton Garden Inn right next yep, door. Right next so door. he was there the whole time. And he has like the most detailed pregame, you know, research that he hands out to every player and he slides under their door when they're on the road to learn everything. So he's probably not, not, not a bad guy to learn from in terms of being all buttoned up and prepared. So yeah. that's, that's a great story. All right, Jake, let's get to you. Uh -oh. So uh, tell us how, how you started in the great game of hockey. Yeah, no, I'm so very similar to Carrie is uh, when I was growing up where we lived, we lived on a neighborhood that had two cul-de-sacs, probably four houses down where a bunch of kids lived and we just played sports all the time so every day after school we're just playing different sports and when it came to street hockey slash roller hockey they started playing and I was like well I want to play so I had to learn how to skate so you just learn how to skate and then um, started playing with them and then we would play every day for hours after school and then sooner or later I just got to talk my parents into taking me to play roller hockey and then uh, started playing that like a house league and was pretty good at that and then got asked to be um, competitive league, make the competitive team. And same thing with like the goalie, the way it kind of became a goalie is we got to the tournament and it was, someone had to play goalie and it was the first tournament. And my last name's Anderson. So it started with me. So they're like, all right, you're going to play goalie the first tournament. And then we ended up going four and oh and winning the tournament. And they're like, you're always going to play goalie for us in this tournament. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's how I started. And then sure enough, a ice rink got built in the mall that was about two miles from our house down in Colorado Springs. So once that was built, then I wanted to learn how to play ice hockey. Um, and then sure, same story with like the Kings, the Colorado Avalanche moved to town in 96 and won the Stanley Cup and then won the Stanley Cup in 2001. And those are like kind of my heroes and ice hockey just kind of took off from there. Um, yeah, and then kind of how I ended up going, getting serious about it is just, Hockey was growing in Colorado. It's pretty big now in Colorado Springs and in Denver area, but it wasn't quite there yet. So there wasn't a whole lot of teams to play for yet. So as you got a little more competitive and a little better, there was like maybe one team that was competitive in the country, but there's a pool that's pretty big to pick from, or you can look for other options. And that's kind of how we started looking to prep schools and seeing if there was something a little more convenient and better and kind of better for my development to play at right so that's kind of how I ended up going up north to Minnesota and going to Shattuck. Gotcha and then how did you end up getting recruited to uh, AIC? Yeah so um, kind of a different process is uh, just way different than it is now. Um, I remember being in my senior year uh, late in my senior year in like January and uh, February and not only myself but probably like eight of the other of the 12 seniors on our team not committed like not not going to college yet and just it was just so much later back then um but yeah we were just looking at some different schools and talking to AIC briefly here off and on and then as we got through the national tournament and whatnot um some things kind of changed in their situation and uh I remember them calling and I think it was like the first week of May being like, hey, we've got room now. We need a goalie that can come in in, in uh, August this year. And I was like, all for it. So I wanted that opportunity to test myself at Division One. I. I wanted to see if I was good enough to kind of keep playing. And um, I knew if I had gone to Division Three, I would have always had the question, like, what if I'd like really gone for Division One? So I was really happy with going to Division One, And then that was a great experience because 
was the best thing for me because I didn't play a whole lot and I went from coming from the best program in the country to a team that was we were up and coming and struggling and having our struggles and learning the other side of it there's you know there's two feet right there's the left shoe and the right shoe and I'd been standing on the right foot for a long time and it was good to see the left side and I think that's how I really started thinking about coaching it was when I was at AIC. And ARC has done really well the last few years. They, yes. that, that program's come a long way, and I think they're investing a heck of a lot more into the program now that they've had some success. For sure. And uh, the head coach there now, Eric Lang, he was actually the assistant coach that was at AIC that was in helping recruit me and my classmates and some guys that went there with us and stuff. So um, really great to see them having success. And he's he was awesome, and he was an awesome coach when he was there. And now I, I'm not surprised that they're doing really well. It's fun to be a part of that. Awesome, awesome. Okay, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Kerry. Uh, looking back on your playing career, who was your favorite coach uh, growing up? Yeah, uh, I wouldn't have said it at the time, but <laughs> the favorite coach that I had for sure was um, Tom Ward at Shattuck, and I played for him for two years on the prep team, and then he ended up, he's done some stuff with the, U, with the World Junior team, and then he was with the Sabres for a little bit, and now I think he's back at Shattuck now, um, but he's by far the most influential coach, and every day just his ability to get more out of kids every day. And um, yeah, I just, there's no way I'd be the, he's actually shaped my, my coaching career than probably my playing career, which I wish he had shaped more of my playing career. I wish I had bought in a little bit more and realized all the things he was teaching and all the lessons he was teaching us, but he helps me every day and doesn't, doesn't even know it. Right. So it's, uh, he's really, cool. he's really cool. that's a great lesson for kids to, to hear today about, you know, some of the coaches that uh, they may not have appreciated as much or don't appreciate as much today, but we'll, we'll appreciate them a few years from now as they get older. 100%. Yeah. All right. So both of you goalies, at least, uh, you know, Harry started out as a goalie. I got out as soon as I could. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But my question is, is how does that help you as you transition into, in, into being coaches? Uh, we'll talk about your, let's talk about your coaching careers now. Um, you know, the one thing that uh, there, there's a former pro from San Jose that I've spoken to quite a bit because um, our kids have played together. And, and he basically says, is everyone thinks goalies are not the brightest ones out there, but you forget that we're watching the entire game for 60 minutes from the best seat in the house. And we see everything and we know every player's tendency because that's our job is to figure out the other team and and you know disassemble it so to speak so what advantage and what disadvantages do you think you guys have as coaches now that you, since you've been goalies um for part of your career or your full career so yeah i'll start it's uh for me it's i think the advantage is exactly what you're saying is the ability to observe the whole game and you see the whole game from kind of that perspective um so i i call that like a blessing and a curse like i always see it from the goal line out and um, harp on defensive hockey and playing on the right side of the puck and the D zone and how important it is. And, you know, the old saying, offense wins games, defense wins championships. But then probably the curse side of it is uh, don't work enough on scoring goals sometimes. <laughs> right? Like you just sacrifice maybe a, a goal for just to prevent a goal against. So, um, yeah, I think for me, that's a huge part of my coaching philosophy and seeing it from that side of it, like, hey, uh, we got to be on this side of the puck and kind of take care of our own house before we go out and play in the rest of the world. But it definitely is a crippling effect when it comes to being creative and helping offensive tendencies. Gary? Yeah, and then um, obviously that, well, part of me transitioning to be a player was 
um, like you said, uh, goalies see a lot of what's going on, how the plays are created. Um, I just wanted to be more involved. Obviously, when you're in your defensive zone, um, you're involved, but in the offensive zone or the neutral zone, you're not involved as much and you're not going all the time, right? And that was part of why I switched. But um, but like he's saying, defense first. Um, obviously, you want to work uh, from the goal line out and do what you can. But with my experience from playing forward and defense and then obviously goalie, um, you know, being able to help translate some of the offensive ten tendencies of helping, hey, this is how you're going to, you know, if you change this angle and things like that on a zone entry, how you can score on a goalie and certain things like that, that most players, um, especially at this age, don't understand or haven't, you know, heard that before. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so let's let's take it to the next level is why did you both of you become coaches uh carrie why don't we start with you why you know you you almost immediately moved into the coaching realm right right after graduation if i understood your elite prospects profile pretty accurately close yeah um so part of it too and i on your uh, first question i thought you were um, asking about like a professional coach um not a you know coach that i had um <laughs> the coaches that i had um i would I would say it's uh, Jeff Turcott and Jim Fetter uh, that were very influential with uh, the day-to-day -day stuff. Um, I, had a, I had a different type of uh, background growing up um, and it's made me the person I am today. And um, they were a huge influence on where I um, you know, am today. So with that, um, the coaches in my youth uh, you know, career growing up is part of the main reason. Like if there wasn't a uh, coach like uh, Turcotte uh, growing up, I probably, you know, wouldn't have gotten to that next level or wasn't pushed um, certain ways. And there's kids that um, that are out there that are going through, you know, certain things in life. And, you know, sometimes they just need um, hockey to help separate, you know, life from, you know, kind of like if you're an adult, work from your normal day-to-day -day life. So, being able to help, you know, kids and develop. And, you know, a lot of times when kids get to college, um, what I saw was there's a lot of kids that kind of already have their landscape and know what they're going to be doing. And, um, you know, maybe they have a certain mindset um, going into college and they kind of have all those, um, that foundation. But in high school, there's some kids that you can help um, with that foundation. So when they move into college or that next level, um, or just life in general, um, you're able to help them. So that was the main reason. Uh, I moved home after college and I was working in real estate and started with the Lady Ducks and then yeah. moved into, I was like, well, I love this. So really got into it full time after that. Gotcha. Yeah. And you, you've been at the, you know, below college level, your, your entire coaching career, right? So Correct. It's, it's, yeah, it's I was with uh, the Lady Ducks, uh, U19. I was the head coach, assistant coach for the U16 um, when I first started there. And then I uh, started uh, the HUSAC program with Bill Ward or yeah, Bill Ward um, out in HUSAC Falls. And then um, that's in New was, Jersey, I believe. Uh, um, uh, New York, close, New York? Close, close to Troy, New York. Yep. Okay. And sorry. And yeah. um, went to um, work with Hockey China, the U18 program. And then um, after that, I uh, have been here ever since. So about, this will be my fifth year with Selects, so. And, and you also help out with USA Hockey because I saw you in St. Cloud this summer. Yeah, so, um, ever uh, since I, that's how I met Jake, uh, actually. Oh. So uh, <laughs> we were working um, USA Hockey Camp. I was brought in as an intern. He was as well, but that's where I met him. But um, ever since my first year um, as an intern and second year, I've always applied and wanted to be involved and been very fortunate to work as a skills coach, um, 
you know, evaluated with them. So, yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. And Jake, you, you've been a D1 assistant coach at, at multiple places. And I believe you started off with Holy Cross back when they were still a, a D3 program. So yeah. why don't you just talk about your, your background and especially at the college level? Yeah, no. It's, um, so when I graduated college, like I said, I knew when I was at college, I knew I wasn't going to be making a living playing the game anymore, but I also knew I wanted to stay involved in the game. So I actually, my first job, I was actually doing like skills coaching and goalie coaching um, in Boston and uh, was doing that for about six months and then moved down to Virginia and did it for another like two years, um, full-time just skills coach basically. Um, and that's when I realized I was like, I really like hockey, but I really like like the full year, the team, the the games, the the reward of going on the journey and finishing it and whatnot. So I ended up leaving that, and then uh, that's when I got the job at Holy Cross. And uh, yeah, it was Division Three at the time. I I was there. I was there for two years and worked for a guy named Pete Van Buskirk, and we had a blast and um, we had a lot of success. And then that just kind of led me to my next job is. Uh, which was that RPI, which started there. And that's my first division one job. And uh, yeah. And then since then, just kind of going where opportunities were kind of available to me. And uh, when I got the job at Providence, that was, that was awesome and had a great two years there. But at the same time, my, my personal life was going a different direction than maybe my professional life. And uh, so we just had, had to come up with a plan and kind of find a way to make it work. And Lucky You're referring to you and Carrie probably dating at this point. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah we had met. We had met. Uh, so it was funny, actually, that so that job at Husek that Carrie took, which is Husek Falls, New York, which is about 20 minutes north of Troy, New York, which all, which RPI is located in Troy, New York. So kind of see how that started and it kind of just kept going. And then um, when Carrie came to Selects and I was, like I said, kind of in the Massachusetts area and went down to Providence and professionally it was a really good move and we were having an awesome time and we were doing great things but personally is only so I don't know we can only live six hours apart for so long so I uh, had to make a choice and we just got really fortunate that the way selects was going that there was a potentially an opportunity to kind of come here and right now and it turned into like we're both making a pretty good living and we're able to do something that we both really like doing and um, kind of chase our passion at the same time and and be together which has been obviously it's been awesome it's been really good two years and especially with the COVID year that would have been very very difficult trying to navigate that year from six hours apart so I've been very fortunate with that. Gotcha gotcha okay so now, now let's get into Bishop Kearney yeah. and and uh let's just start with what's the history of the program um you know it, was, it started several years ago you've had tremendous success in moving players on to the college ranks uh, especially some top schools so why don't you just talk about the history of the program um and then you know the relationship with uh, Bishop Kearney High School. Yeah I'll let Carrie take it she's been here a long time. No for sure <laughs> so um you know Kathy Pippi, uh, she works with us, obviously, and she was actually the one that founded uh, the program here at Bishop Kearney, uh, working with Legacy Global Sports, uh, which is no longer, unfortunately. But with that being said, um, she was working with Legacy with the selects, um, East Coast selects, West Coast, those types of things where she was putting on events for um, you know, young girls through the whole country and nation, um, just like her premier ice prospects now. So with that, she um, was in a meeting with a couple people and um, Bishop Carney um, happened to have um, dormitories upstairs uh, because back in the 70s, they had nuns and priests that lived here. And it, obviously it was um, vacant. And so they um, 
cleaned out both sides and then redid the dorms. And um, with that, um, you know, obviously we have a charter with Rochester Youth Hockey, and then we have 40 girls that live here. So the first year the, of the program, they had uh, just the U16 team, and that was started with Chris Baldo and Julie Nur. Um, they did a great job starting the foundation of this program and putting it to where it is today when uh, Brent came in the year after where we where they recruited um, 20 more young ladies to fill a U19 team. And um, just so we're clear, you're, you're mentioning Brent Hill, who uh, just left to go to be an assistant at Quinnipiac. But we'll, correct. We'll yeah, Brent Hill. Yeah. He was our program director for four years. Um, I came in halfway through um, the his his first year and have been was here ever since with him. So with that being said, um, we brought in that second team. So they had 40 girls. And I know the first year that they had the program, they I think lost in the semifinals um, at nationals. And then the next year with Brent, uh, unfortunately lost uh, in the U16 national championship game. And then the year after that, uh, same thing. They had a lot of success at States and um, came up short again in the national championship game. Um, and then the COVID year happened, um, both teams did well. Um, and then here we are today, uh, last or this past nationals, we, un we unfortunately came up short <laughs> against uh, the Chicago mission, great organization. And, um, you know, we're, they, they push us and we push them like every other program in this country. So we're very fortunate to be where we are today and the success that we have had in just six years. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit about where we are on the, you know, history side. Um, I'll let Jake talk yeah. about the admission side. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah uh, and if you could talk about just the relationship with Bishop Carney, the high school, and, yeah. and kind of how the school works, because it is somewhat of a religious school. Like you said, yeah. you know, it's a former nunnery uh, is where I believe the girls <laughs> live upstairs. So uh, uh, let's yeah. talk about that. Yeah, so the school itself is uh, it's a small private Catholic school, So it's a, but it's a day school. So there's 400 kids that go here. Um, and 300 of them don't live here. So it's not like a traditional prep school where there's a lot of kids that live on campus or a lot of buildings and things like that. It's just a kind of a normal private high school that has a little bit of the Catholic uh, undertones or whatnot from, from back in the 70s. And they still keep those, like they pray every day and some traditions and things like that. But overall, they do, and the kids do take a religion course, but uh, overall it's a, uh, just a very private school education, which is uh, really cool to see. And it's cool for our girls because they're they're living in it every day and they have to go to school with kids that don't play hockey, that don't have interest in hockey, that are going to school to do a million different other things. And they have to get along with them and navigate that. But then at the end of the day, they got on the bus and we go over to practice and we have our uh, they're with each other and they go practice and they work out and they live together right and they go back to the dorms and have dinner together and and manage that side of it too where they keep pushing each other and it's, and it's really cool because it's uh, one of those things where they're pushing each other and they don't even realize that they're pushing each other right because they're just living right in it every day so uh, it's pretty cool how much the school supports us and helps us through some of the the trials of the, tra the travel and youth hockey as We've all been through that and you're going away and playing five games on the weekend and getting back late Sunday and waking up and they go right to school on Monday and they're right there and they're sitting in the front rows of their class and their teachers are helping them out. And um, we've been really fortunate. We've been able to have some girls that have done really well in school and open a lot of doors for for the, the next wave of girls that's coming in that they're, they have trust already built that they're going to be able to go and travel and do well in hockey and do well in school. 
so hey Jake, can I just ask you a couple of quick questions? Yeah. So there's one which I'm sure there are some parents who where they hear that it's a religious Catholic school that some that'll be great. That's awesome. That's perfect for my kid and for others, ooh, maybe not. So maybe you could just yeah. talk a little bit more about for kids who maybe want the hockey side of things, but maybe less yeah. the, the religious side of things, uh, how, how that's adapted for, for some of those kids. Yeah, like I said, it's more of um, it's more of just like kind of the the morals and the the foundation of the school, what the what they're going to be teaching. It's more so of that than actual like uh, religion, if you will. Um, so they they take um, they do take one religion course uh, through their years. They got to get a credit with that, but that can be a little bit of everything. It's kind of just learning about religions. It's not just Catholic. Um, and then our school does. Uh, one mass a, a month where the kids have to go to mass for 30 minutes um one time a month but other than that it's just a regular school kind of a regular school day there's no uh there's plenty of kids that we have kids in our program right now that are all different faiths and religions and no one's being black looked down upon or treated differently for their religious beliefs or anything like that it's just i guess the the school just has that history of how it was founded and it was a catholic school when it was founded right yeah gotcha gotcha um and that's what i've heard as well i just wanted to make sure yeah. other folks uh yeah. know, know that answer second piece that i've heard from uh parents some of who, who have been to to bk select and some who chose not to or uh for whatever reason is those 40 girls that you have living upstairs on uh, i believe it's the third floor yep. um are really tight and yeah. so um you know it, it's very close relationships and you're with those 40 girls, you know, other than when you're in class, pretty much the entire time that you're there. And so that's very appealing to some people. And, you know, you got to make sure if you, if you don't get along with everybody, that could be a little awkward. So maybe just talk about how tight, yeah. you know, the girls get while they're there and living all together in the same place. Yeah. And I think that starts with like kind of our program and some of our philosophies is we're, we're really preaching hard on inclusion and that everyone's in this thing together and we're working together and, um, our girls do get along really well and and they are around each other probably too much at times, right? And that doesn't mean that they're always getting along and and whatnot. We have our whatever differences and disagreements, but that's part of life too, is you have to be able to understand where someone else is coming from and maybe learn from that and get through that disagreement, just like your, if you were your sisters and siblings and all that. So um, I think it's kind of what makes us really special is just how tight our teams our teams are and how much they're around each other and at the end of the year when we're in those big tournaments and whatnot and we're going through them and maybe that's the difference between us getting to that next game is that our girls are willing to do maybe just a little bit more for each other because they care just a little bit more about each other um, off the ice on the ice wherever it is they just look out for each other and and stick together so um, we really do preach that and try and teach that and uh, everyone's bringing a different set of skills and what they are to the table and it's all important and it's all useful and we need to enhance that and get along with that right gotcha. you know, gotcha. what do you got I mean a part of it too is um, you know we have girls that are coming from all over we have girls from different countries we have girls local we have girls um, obviously from California Texas all over so with that, um, you know, they're all going through the same thing, right? They're away from home. They automatically have 39 other sisters that, hey, maybe 
I've never been through this, but maybe Jenny Sue over here has, right? Uh, so making sure that, you know, they're kind of leaning on each other, but there's also um, throughout uh, our campus, we obviously have our boys program that's here, um, which is new, um, which is great and is great for the school. So there's a lot of more residential students on campus. So if that's, you know, going across the street to Starbucks to get a coffee with some friends or um, going, you know, downstairs into the shooting rooms to work on their shot skills. Is it going into the, you know, there's different things throughout campus where they can kind of, you know, separate and have their own time away from each other. And obviously there's downtime throughout the day that's structured for that exact thing for people to have their own time and um, quiet time space, just like if you were at another prep school or if you're in college um, to learn how to separate, you know, your close friends, uh, maybe you're in a relationship, whatever it is. Um, maybe you're going over to a friend's house because you're friends with a local student. Um, so, which we have a lot of students that are. So, um, you know, sometimes we have kids that on off weekends, they'll go and hang out with their local, um, you know, friends from school. Um, just like if I were at any prep school or um, any hockey academy, uh, we, we, we're lucky that we have those friends and teammates that, you know, maybe I'm friends with them on the lacrosse team in the springtime if I pick to choose and play lacrosse, right? So they have those um, opportunities just like if it was a normal high school. Gotcha, gotcha. You, you kind of stole a little bit of my question, my next question, oh, okay. which was what's, what's the uh, relationship with the boys team? Um, you know, do you practice together at all? Do you do skill stuff together at all? Do they kind of live in the same building? But obviously if it's a former nunnery, I'm sure they are very well separated. Um, how does that all work? Just like um, a normal prep school, our school is one big building instead of having like five different buildings, six, however many different buildings throughout the school. So with that, obviously, yeah, the dorms are separate, but, um, you know, there's times just like in prep school, uh, after school or practices and meals, they're able to go um, mingle, hang out, do whatever, you know, if they're going to Target, Starbucks, whatever it is, or maybe they're going to, a, you know, a skill session together. Um, you know, a lot of them will play roller hockey out back, or maybe if it's the winter, play some pond hockey. So with that, um, you know, we, we're very fortunate to have them here with, um, you know, their knowledge base with their coaching staff. Uh, we sometimes will we'll meet with them and um, some of our girls will have skill sessions with their coaches as well. And, um, you know, part of it is we don't practice directly with them, but um, we're definitely involved with a lot of their day-to-day -day stuff. Um, but yeah, we don't practice directly with them, but uh, maybe in the future we'll have some events like we've talked about doing like three on three tournaments and stuff like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So now let's move on to the actual girls program. There are some significant coaching changes that occurred over the summer. Um, as I kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, Brent Hill went on to uh, back to division one and uh, some major coups with uh, bringing in the former Robert Morris University head coach, uh, Paul Colantino, as well as he also brought in Scott uh, McDonald, who was also the uh, former head coach at RIT. Maybe just talk about the coaching changes and what the impact has been on uh, the, the team so far. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been awesome. It's been great. Uh, the transition. I mean, it's never. I don't know if there's ever like a great time for transition like that. But uh, Brent did an awesome job, and when he moved on to Quinnipiac, and we we're kind of seeing what's going on, and everything kind of happens for a reason. And Robert Morris, I don't know for whatever reason, they they made the decisions that they made, and it was only about two or three weeks after Brent had decided that he was going to move on, and so we still had that opening and. Um, Kathy being from Pittsburgh, she was help, helpful with that and kind of opened that door and went through the process. And Paul 
he jumped in both feet right away here and he's been awesome. Um, he's, he's also taken over kind of a director role with all of hockey too. So he's really helping with, like you were just talking about that relationship with the boys program and stuff like that. And um, over the time, how I think he's going to be really influential on how this whole place kind of works and operates together, which will be really fun to be a part of. And then um, in terms of the hockey stuff and the knowledge, you can't, can't, the only way you can get 10 years of uh, division one head coaching experience is you got to be a head coach for 10 years at the division one level. Right. So him bringing that to us and we're fortunate that every conversation we're having, we're, learning from him and picking his brain and helping out and then uh yeah and then with that he had the relationship with scott already and kind of reached out to scott uh to see if he'd be interested in kind of helping us out and uh kind of our he's kind of like our practice coach if you will he comes to a lot of our practices and helps out does some skill development stuff and whatnot and as the time goes on hopefully it'll blossom even more and get them into more and more game action and stuff like that but uh his, he's been great for our kids and just another voice with a ton of experience that can that knows how to kind of translate that message to the kids and help them uh, just again we're a development-based program so any way we can help kids get better that's what we're trying to do so um, if that means us coaches are getting better that's good if that means the kids are getting better directly from that's also good so it's been really good it's been a whirlwind of a month uh september's always super fast so it's good to get through that but i think overall it's it's going really well yep and so let me ask the most obvious question um what's it like working with your spouse uh you you aren't the first um coach that uh, works with their spouse so uh, we had sarah reichenbach earlier on in one of the early podcasts who works with her husband at maine uh ricky reichenbach um there but now you two work together now not directly on the same bench at the same time but what's it like working together no it's awesome um you know when he was working at the college level and i was working at the youth level um some people are always like hey like i can't believe you know so-and-so's talking about hockey again i'm like well that's my life i love hockey and we will talk about you know hockey every day and um it just works out and that's the type of people we are with being passionate about it so um in my opinion on my side um i i love it um i i feel that um he makes me better i make him better but also everyone else that's here um also helps contribute with that so very lucky and actually this year i have been on the bench with him so it has been good we've coached together before in like summer camps and showcases and stuff like that so it's um it's good um we both have respect for each other at the workplace in the sense of you know if he's the head coach of the u16 team um you know, we're on the same page no matter what. Um, and that's kind of a philosophy of our, our coaching staff and our program in general. Um, so yeah, in my opinion, I love it, uh, but he can speak for himself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's been, it's been awesome. It's been a uh, truly a blessing. Uh, I was worried about it at first, not worried, but nervous about it. I didn't want us to take away my passion for hockey or whatnot and extremely blessed that carries uh She's just a really special person. So it's been really easy to work with her and really easy that, again, she does a really good job of whatever's going on at home, we don't bring it here. And whatever's going on here, we don't bring home unless unless we want, unless we're winning. And then we like bringing that stuff home. <laughs> we don't home, right? So, um, but we work together. And uh, like I said, Carrie just does a really good job of um, delegating and, and keeping us accountable and keeping me on the page and, she, she balances it. It wouldn't work if it was anyone else. I tell you that right now. So it's, uh, it's been really good. It's been really fortunate for me for sure.
Awesome, awesome. Okay, we're going to move away from this subject, so I don't try and uh, provoke any uh, any controversial topics to be yeah. discussed. All right, let, let's let's talk about what it's like to be to play for Bishop Carney. So maybe you could just talk about the hockey facilities, um, your skill development, uh, and your practices, and kind of what what a day in the life is like for a player. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'll kind of go through a day in the life, and that kind of usually that leads me into all those those other subplots, right? So kid wakes up um, in the morning and we have breakfast right here on the third floor from seven to eight o'clock. So they come in, they eat breakfast right there. Uh, they get ready for school. They go to school at eight o'clock. Um, they're in school from eight o'clock to one forty-five every day. Uh, it's a block schedule. So they take four classes. So it works out pretty good there. Um, and then once school's over, they jump right on the bus. Well, they come upstairs, they change, they grab a snack and they jump right on the bus and the bus leaves at two o'clock to get down to the rink. We practice out of Bill Gray's, which is about 12 minutes all highway to get there. So it's really convenient. It's really easy to get to. Um, we have easy on, run. easy off the highway, as I've experienced a couple of yes. times. Yes, like whoop, whoop, right, right there. So um, great thing about Rochester, there's a lot going on in Rochester. But even when you hit traffic in Rochester, it still only takes about 15 minutes to get anywhere. So we, <laughs> so we're never late for practice or anything like that. Um, we get to the rink and uh, we're really fortunate. We got two locker rooms, one for the U16 team, one for the U19 team. Um, we have our coach's room right there. And we kind of have like, like where we're like a, our own hallway where the kids can kind of tape sticks, get ready for practice, do whatever they can do, stretch, warm up. Um, and then we jump on the ice and we usually probably 95% of our practices are the U16 team on one rink and the U19 team on the other rink. But what's really awesome about that is we practice at the same time. So we don't have kids that we don't have one team waiting for another team or anything like that. We practice at the same time from about 2.40 to 4 o'clock every day. So about 80 minutes every day. So that's really good. Um, finish up practice. They change. They get back on the bus and we come back to school. And then the U16 team will work out at 5 o'clock and the U19 team will work out at 6 o'clock. So if you're the team that's working out, you get back to school, you grab a snack or whatever you need, um, and then you go and we have a strength conditioning coach and we use the team gym, a full varsity gym that we have, and we do a team workout and they work out and then the U19 team will come down at six. They finish that up. So basically from two o'clock to seven o'clock is hockey where they're totally like dialed in on just hockey right there. But um there's no hour driving back and forth to practice. There's no 9.30 practices. It's always those times. So after they get through that, they have like dinner, you have study hall, you have maybe some free time to go to the skills room and stick handles, shoot pucks, um, use the upstairs gym and work on a little, work on something else that you want to work on, watch video, whatever it is. But uh, the point being is it's very like regimented. They're not losing a lot of time traveling to school traveling back lose a lot of time going to practice coming back right like those are the challenges that a lot of our kids that are that look into our program that they're trying to avoid is we don't want to practice at 9 30 an hour and a half away get home at midnight wake up the next day you know doing like, homework in the car doing homework in the car and stuff like that right Apparently you've, you've seen my schedule I, I understand <laughs> that, yeah, so. um, experienced it man how, many, uh, how much of the time when you're doing your off-ice stuff um, is with coaches, you know, helping with skill development, whether it's in the shooting, you know, uh, the shooting yeah. lanes or, or, or the strength and conditioning with a, a strength or conditioning coach? 
Yeah, so they have their strength and conditioning coach. We have a strength and conditioning coach that works with the teams. So that's, um, and I think that's a big piece. So like that's, the kids, they hear from us all the time, every day, all day. So whenever we can have someone who's like just kind of coming in and just working on one thing, whether it be like strength conditioning, that's a good thing. Like that's a new voice that's bought in. So we have a strength conditioning coach. So that does well. Um, if they want to do the skills room, a lot of times they go together. They go in groups of two or three and they kind of push each other. Maybe they'll come and ask us ahead of time, like, hey, I'm having trouble doing this. Do you have any we'll drills or that. whatever? And we'll be like, yeah, well, we can like, kind of write shot out a release things like that write out a plan for them shot release stick handle whatever it is but then that's part of it too is uh you got to learn how to go on your own a little bit but if you're willing to ask for help we'll come down and help you too right like i've been down there i've, I've shot my fair share of pucks down there if need be and uh we'll, we'll do whatever needs to be done to continue help with those goals and same with like on the ice stuff and whatever it's uh it's kind of like if you're willing to ask and you're willing to put in the work, then we're going to be really willing to go and continue to help develop that or take it as far as we need to take it. Okay, okay as kind of being involved at the director level of, of the program, how do you trade off winning versus skill development and really kind of really making sure the girls are ready to go to college? I'm assuming most of them want to play D1. Yep, that's, that's a great question. Um, it's definitely a question that we get asked um, when we're in processes with people. So with that, um, we have a lot of um, pride in what we do on the ice. If it's a practice, it's every, if it's every rep, if it's, we're in a tight game situation, um, maybe, you know, it's a kid that's, you know, new to our program, but needs to learn, you know, they know our systems, but, you know, they have a college that's watching them. Um, you know, we're going to put them out there, even though we have a kid that potentially is committed already and, you know, things like that. We'll, we'll make sure that that kid's getting out there instead of, you know, you know, we'll, we'll sacrifice a loss or a mistake over the wins and losses sometimes. Right. So with that, it, it helps with the development side. Um, we try and run making sure we have, um, you know, girls going throughout the whole game. Obviously, there's certain situations um, in certain games, but we try and make sure that we have, um, you know, girls getting to play in all different situations um, at all times. Gotcha. Yeah. Add on that? yeah, and then and just, and then at the same time, though, we're competitive, and that's part of development is can be development is uh defined in a whole lot of ways and sometimes the best development is learning the lesson but like oh i didn't get to play at the end of this game what the heck's going on like i always play at the end of the game i'm gonna go talk to coach why am i not playing at the end of this game well this is why these are the things you need to do how can we help you with that so maybe next weekend or next month or next year when we're in this situation we are calling your number right Sometimes that's the development side too. So it's a fine balance. And at the end of the day, we're in high school and we're young and we're, we're, we're all about trying to help kids get better. And so kids are going to play, kids are going to fail, kids are going to make mistakes, and then they're going to come back and we're going to hopefully try and learn from those mistakes and put them right back in those situations to hopefully learn from the mistake and make the mix, make them a better player, right? So it's, uh, it's pretty special. Gotcha, gotcha. So, Jake, I'm going to ask you the same question uh, that I asked you a year ago when I first met you, which yeah. is, um, so say you have a 15 or almost 16-year-old uh, player 
but they're really good. How do you decide if they should play on the 16s team or the 19s team? The U16 or U19 yeah. team? Yeah, so the way we kind of do it, we, we really do it case by case for the most part. Um, and a lot of it is there's the hockey side of it, the physical side, and then there's the off-ice side of it and the mental side too, right? So sometimes a kid, it's better for them uh, maybe to play another year of 16s and go from being a kid that's always been the youngest kid on their team because they're really skilled and they're the best player, but they're always the youngest and they're always able to look up to people. All of a sudden they come back and maybe they play that extra year on the U16 team and they're the oldest kid and everyone's looking at them. And now there's now maybe we're not developing as much on the ice as we are off the ice. We're developing way more off the ice and that's going to actually help them on the ice in the long run, right? Like that's the... What's an yeah. example of an off-ice thing that they could develop? So, uh, like the leadership examples? part, like uh, here's one. Like an example would be they've been a kid that every year they're looking at someone else like, so what are we wearing to work out today? What's the, what do we have to do for this or whatnot? And now they're sitting there and everyone's going to them like, what are we doing for workout today? And now they're like, oh, I'm the one that's kind of like making sure that everything runs smooth here. Like I'm the one that, is the oldest kid and people are looking at me to make sure that we have our ducks in a row here or whatnot, right? So it's kind of getting that off-ice responsibility and then that usually translates to on-ice responsibilities too, right? Like, hey, like our team wants, for our team to be successful, like you got to play very consistently and you've got to like bring your teammates with you. Like it's not good enough just to worry about your own game. Like everyone's looking at you to like bring our teammates with us and if someone's struggling, pick them up, like pat them on the back and get them going and whatnot. And next thing you know, um, now you're developing real leadership skills too. And that actually, when they do make it to the 19 team, actually helps them even more so. Or when they make it to college, I always say sooner or later, when you play this game, sooner or later, you do become the oldest kid. It's impossible to always be the youngest kid, right? Sooner or later, you're going to be the oldest kid, whether it's your senior year in high school or senior year in college. Uh, there's going to be a lot of kids younger than you looking at you. So if we can help develop that when they're 15, just a little bit, then they're going to handle it better when they're 18. And then they're going to handle it even better when they're 22. Right. So that's kind of it. And with, with that, I mean, part of that leadership stuff is, you know, when you go to those national camps or, um, you know, potential festivals and things like that, to, you know, some, a lot of kids have aspirations to be on those USA teams, Canadian, whatever country you're from. Um, that's one of the biggest things is character and leadership, what they're looking for off the ice. Sometimes they're, you know, they know you can get it done on the ice, but what, what are you doing off the ice? What kind of person are you, right? Um, and obviously growing up, you're going to have mistakes and kids are, you know, going to learn from the good, the bad, right? The, the upsetting things. Um, so, you know, we've been very fortunate to have kids that have been able to participate in a lot of that. And we, we take pride on making sure, like, like you're saying, we've had to hold kids back that definitely are talented to go play on the older team, um, but holding them back to play on the 16 team to become that leader off the ice and not even just, you know, for hockey related stuff. Like, let's make sure we're, um, you know, holding the girls accountable um, in the weight room, in the dorm, whatever it is, and kind of just learning all those types of things. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so that's a perfect transition into how you help these players with the college recruiting process. I'm assuming you're talking to some of these coaches, even before the coaches are allowed to talk to the players, and they're yeah. asking you, what are these people like off the ice? 
Maybe you could just talk about how you just, in general, help these players with the recruiting process, everything from answering coaches' questions to helping them prepare to decide where they, they might show an interest in, in going to school. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you're right. It's, we're, we're kind of on the front lines. We're like the middleman. Like uh, we have the, the kids and the parents on our teams that'll ask us questions about the recruiting process. Then you got the colleges on the other side. So we're like right in the middle there. So um, yeah, we just kind of handle it case by case and really listen to what, uh, what the colleges need and what they're looking for and why they like certain players. And uh, if that's the case, and then they'll ask us, that's true. They ask us a lot about family situations, character, how's the kid, is they really bought in? What are, what's the ceiling? Like how are they really bought in? Are they getting better? All those things. And uh, that's where our reputation and our program, uh, that's where our, our name's built on it and we have to hold the line. So we're really honest with colleges. Um, sometimes maybe we're too honest and uh, that's okay. I think I'd rather be too honest and let, it, let a college know exactly what they're gonna potentially be getting from a kid so that they keep that our name clean, you know what I mean? And, uh, and that can go a long way. So with that, I think the, the colleges themselves, they ask us a lot about like, what's the kid like off the ice? Does the kid wanna get better? Is the kid a hockey player or they just play hockey, right? Some of those things. And we're really honest with them. We're like, yeah, that kid, they do everything right. Or they're really bought in or they're really close to being really bought in. Like we just, we're getting better. Like where they were six weeks ago to where they are now give us another six weeks, I think they're going to be fully invested in their fitness, for example, or fully invested in the school. And now they, they, they have a good chance of opening that door for say an Ivy or whatever it is like that top academic school. So the colleges lean on us for that. And then with that information, as we get closer to kind of those dates and um, date being like June 15th and the end of the season, and we'll know which kids are kind of really going to kind of lack of a better word explode and have a whole lot of schools looking after them because we've been talking to them and then we sit down with the family and we kind of come up with a plan uh we want to protect the kids as best we can and what i mean by that is can imagine being 16 years old and waking up one day and having 35 phone calls for with college coaches it could be overwhelming and scary and <laughs> maybe not the most fun thing for a 15 year old to do so we try and help them come up with a plan of like, okay, let's see if we can make a schedule or let's see, have we looked into all these schools? What schools are we really look? What are we interested in academically? Or what type of player are you like? These are schools that maybe you want to really look into or whatnot. And that can also help with that process. And then when we get to June, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, call the college. College calls them, the college calls me, the kids call me, the, you know, it's all over the place. So, and we just try and decipher through that information and find the best fit for each kid. And we've been really fortunate. I think we're at something like 52 kids right now in division, in college hockey right now have played at Selects, which is yeah, crazy in five years. NESCAC to <laughs> Ivy League to state schools, division three schools, all that, so. So, um, so basically, once you get into Selects Academy, you automatically get a D1 offer with a scholarship, even at Ivy's. Is that correct? I mean, you don't even, you like, you don't even have to show up, really. You just have to put it on your, uh, next to your name that you played at BK Selects, and I think they call you instantly. I think it's <laughs> right. like every other program. <laughs> just, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. So now There's let's, no hard let's, work let's, at all. <laughs> let's bring this back to reality, and um, we'll remove the sarcasm from my joke, from my question out. Um, so let, let, let's talk about this. Not every kid 
um, is going to go Ivy League or go to Wisconsin from BK Selects. No. Um, <laughs> what, what's your approach with, with the, the entire body of uh, student athletes that you have, especially those which, you know, thought they were coming in and thought they're, you know, they come from a program where they were lighting it up and they come yeah. here and they realize, hey, man, you're, you're, you're now at a national level and you're not as competitive as you, as you were at the, the, the small pond that you came from necessarily. Yeah, and I go back and it's kind of what we were saying. It's we're honest. Um, we have honest conversations and our goal is to find I mean, in a perfect world, would we want to have 40 Olympians here every year just getting better and doing everything? Of course we would, but at the, the reality is it's not everyone's meant to be an Olympian. And we're, our goal is at the end of the day is every kid ends up at the place that best fits for them. Like that, whatever their goal is, we want to just try and open up those doors and help them accomplish that. And that can be Division Three NESCAC, or that can be Division One Wisconsin, or that could be division one ivy or it could be whatever anything state school division three uh whatever and as we go through it and we get to know the kids and we know the the landscape so well because carrie and i and our program we've been in it so for so long and uh on both sides of it right like recruiting from the other side from the college world and all that we can kind of really help families like see what doors are actually going to be there and then they can go and investigate them and really help try and decipher which is the best fit for the individual and we're just as proud of a kid that commits to division three state school whatever it is as we are with the kid that makes the u18 team right like we we promote all of it we we just want at the end of the day that that family feels really good about the decision and where their kids ended up and what type of person their kid is when they leave here, that they're prepared for college in the classroom, college socially and college hockey, whatever hockey that they're playing um, and that they have a good chance to go there and be really successful. And hopefully a year later, they call us up and be like, this was awesome. This is a great fit. Thank you so much we couldn't have done whatever right like this has been great and we made the right choice and we've we're going to be really successful in life that's awesome that's awesome okay so uh i've taken up a lot of your time already i got just a couple more questions for you so and then we'll uh, let you get back to uh your regular day um what has the uh impact of covid been on the recruiting process specifically you know the last few months uh and in particular on the 2023s um you know yeah. at least compared to the 2022s you have you know significantly less commitments at least from what i can tell so far uh that, uh, versus what you have in the past at this time uh and and i've definitely seen that at the national level it's basically less than half of the commits that they normally see at this point for 2022s and 2021s uh, in terms of what we're seeing from the 2023s what are you seeing from your perspective you know at the at the school level yeah go ahead um so in regards to um are you, are you asking in regards to being recruited to college or at our level uh no d1 level recruiting yeah, uh you know sure. you know yeah. you know what's going on because obviously you know things are behind schedule both because of covid and and the new rules so yeah you know, and what so, do you see yeah and we're seeing a lot of um you know girls that um you know maybe have committed that committed early that you know still have their commitment there and they're going to still be going. Um, and then the girls that haven't committed yet um, because of, you know, the rule change and everything like that. Uh, we have a lot of girls that, you know, maybe there's colleges that, you know, with the portal being open now, they're able to, hey, I can get a 
fifth year player who has been through the ranks and has done this, even though they're not coming from our program, I can get her here and I don't have to teach a freshman or a sophomore how to, um, you know, play this system or play at this pace. Um, so the, the, the reality of the transfer portal playing into it as well is kind of causing some of the backlog. Um, but also with, you know, our side of things with like the girls committing to a lot of these girls that would get offers or had offers before um, the rule change are kind of, they're there, but they're not, you know, you know, say it was 10 schools. Now it's maybe five schools and um, maybe it's not exactly the five schools that they wanted. So with it, um, I think it's obviously has caused, caused a lot of backlog, but um, we're able to help navigate those families and kids into the right position if it's staying D1 and um, moving on and, you know, going to a great Division One is if it's Ivy League or maybe I, I could have an opportunity instead of going Ivy League, I can go NESCAC and be an All-American, whatever it may be. Um, you know, we're trying to make sure we help navigate them through that process. Yeah, and I think... The, the bottom line is if, you know, and it's what you know versus what you don't know. So what has a lot happened with a lot of these colleges is they know if they can bring a kid back that they know they've had them for four years and they've got 120 games played for them and whatnot, you know exactly what you're going to get. Maybe that's a better fit for them in the short term than bringing in a, a, a freshman that's never played college hockey yet. And I think people are starting to realize that that's really what, the log jam is is there's every person that was playing college hockey got an extra year of college hockey and these schools are looking at it and being like I know at least what I'm going to get out of this there's less gambling if you will less like the, of the unknown so I think that's a huge reason why you're seeing some of the backlog and then also colleges weren't in the rinks all last year and kids didn't play a whole lot of hockey last year so they're still going through their their process and seeing what's out there and with the border control and stuff like that and Canada and Canada hasn't started playing hockey nearly as much as the U.S. is right now. So I think a lot of schools are waiting to kind of see what's going on up there, too. It's it's just a it's a different landscape. It's a lot different. A lot can change in 24 months, apparently, from when I was last doing it. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, I think kind of the long-term effects but it, overall I don't think it's a bad thing I think sometimes we were going so fast before COVID that maybe it's okay that we're slowing down and schools are really looking at kids and making sure they know what type of player they're getting and, and uh Alaska goalie specific question do you find it's even more challenging for goalies well, goalies right now it's yeah extremely extremely tough um only one goalie that gets to play in the games right there's only three goalies on every team uh for the most part roughly um and there's so many kids that are really good goalies that might not find homes and it is what it is and again that's where we just hope that we're developing our goalies and helping them get to where they need to go and <laughs> it works out right so yeah. it's uh yeah it's a it's a log jam i don't know how else to kind of play it but I guess it's it'll keep getting better I think it'll it'll loosen up here as we get to like I think the 24s are are going to be okay and 25s I think it'll be through it completely right everyone will know what's kind of going on again gotcha gotcha yeah from what I've seen there was only one 2023 
uh, goalie commit who committed like over the summer. That was it. I mean, yeah. that's that, that's literally. Yeah. I mean, that, that's like significantly below what what historical commitments have been at the goalie position. For so. sure. And then, um, and I mean, also the programs like we're adding programs or losing programs. That 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 landscape that changes everything. The transfer portal, I think, is like Carrie was saying. I think people are underestimating how how much effect the transfer portal has on the kids that are in college right now. And I think part of it too, is there's a lot of schools that haven't seen their teams play in over a year or plus, right? With COVID happening. And then obviously some of the girls seasons being canceled due to COVID. Um, and then those coaches being like, this is the first time they're seeing their players that are even third years that they have confidence <laughs> yeah. in. And they're like, haven't seen them in two we years. might need to bring someone else in or things like that. So not that that's happening everywhere, but it might be something where now they are looking at the youth level because they do want to make changes. Gotcha. Okay. Now let's wrap this up. Uh, if folks are interested in Bishop Carney selects girls hockey, what's the process? Yeah. So the process, uh, we go through our school and we have an admissions process. So, uh, we reach out and get a hold of us through our website. My email's on there, and I work directly with admissions, so I'm kind of like the first layer, if you will. Um, we so get kids that. have to get accepted into the school first before yeah. they are so, considered for the hockey, uh, if, if I understand it correctly. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, so we reach out to me, and I, like I said, I work in the admissions office. At, half my job's in the admissions office. So uh, work in there, and we'll send you guys uh, an inquiry to the school. You inquiry about the school, and that leads to the application. And there's a process through the application and through everything, um, interviews, and stuff like that. And once that gets going, the app inquiry and application, then we start talking hockey. So we can start kind of working together. They're like two different roads, but they're going parallel with each other, the process there. Um, and then that works through the financial aid. And then what we do is if we have early enrollment, where if you get your stuff in before November 1st, you'll find out by November 15th. Um, and if you're accepted, uh, your spot will be held till December 15th without... Uh, without having to worry about anything changing or losing your spot. Um, and then we do another one of those in December. Um, and then final one is in January. And then once we get to January, we're kind of rolling admissions from January until our spots are full. So if a kid is really interested in us, but maybe they want to see what else is out there and they apply to us and we accept them in January, but then they're looking around and then they come back to us maybe in March, it's real possible. And there's a lot of communication between all this, but it's like, hey, our, our spot might be, we had to go a different direction because right, at the end of the day, there's only 40 total spots. Obviously we don't graduate 40 kids every year. Our goal is to kind of ha have like 10 new kids a year. Um, and that's that once those are filled, then our team's filled. So, yeah. um, and so, and, and so clearly us. you obviously lose kids to graduation and I'm assuming once in a while you, you'll have your own transfer portal, so to, yep. so to speak, yep. um, situation. So, yeah, right. uh, we've been very fortunate the last couple of years. We've, we've had a really high retention rate. We pride ourselves on that. Um, we work with the families we want. We always say when we commit to you guys, to that family for, say, their grade 10 year, we, we're committing for three years. We Our goal is to have kids come here, be on our teams, go through the school, go through the program, develop, and then graduate. That's our that's our goal. And, and uh, we don't want kids 
only here for a year and then looking for somewhere else and whatnot. It doesn't mean that we're the best fit for everyone. It's a special type of relationship. It's a special kid that makes it through, but we try and identify those kids and pick the right ones that can be the most successful here and have a great experience here. And I'm going to end with another goalie question since, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I always get pinged by goalie parents saying you don't ask enough goalie questions. So yeah, um, I believe you have two of your incoming players or, or goalies. So how do you manage, like, do you already know, like you might need goalies next year or you won't need goalies? Um, you know, how does that work for, for that position? Because it's a little bit tighter. Like once you, you can only have four goalies amongst the 40 players that you have. Yeah, exactly. And um, that's where it comes to the the process and the, the um the birth years and grade years and graduation rates and all of that. So we, that position more than any, we're projected out like four years or like, okay, if we have a kid here, we got a kid here and now we got to make sure, okay, we're going to need one this year, not next year. And then the year, right. So um, we just kind of stick to the course there and uh, yeah, we can't go too far off the page on that one. That one, lack of better words, sometimes solves itself actually. Right. <laughs> Gotcha. All right. Cool. Uh, awesome. Carrie, Jake, anything else you guys want to add? Anything else about the program that we missed that uh, you want to share? Um, no, I mean, obviously, um, we're, we're more than happy to um, talk to anyone. And um, with that, I mean, sometimes there's perfect fits for our program because we, we really encourage the hockey serious here. Um, but also, we're more than happy to help any kid. That's that's why we're in this job, and that's why we do this. Um, so once you're a part of the process, or we've met you and we've worked with you, um, or we have never, um, we're here. We'd love to help. So um, yeah, thanks for having us, and um, we appreciate you having us on here today. Yeah, awesome and fun. I really want to thank Carrie and Jake for coming on the podcast. It was great to hear all about the Selects Academy program, what is going on now with women's college recruiting, and of course, their thoughts on player development. And remember, if you got something out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you'd like, follow, subscribe, and even better, if you could leave us a review so we can keep sharing this important hockey information with folks just like you.